And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we are back. Thank you for joining us for yet another episode of the Startup Hustle podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Conaway, founder and CEO of Innovate Her KC, and we are really, really excited about today's episode sponsor. Today's episode is sponsored by Universal Registered Agents, and they, you know what they do? They make it easy for entrepreneurs to get their company started the right way. If you are thinking about starting a new business or expanding a current one, it is so important to get it set up and maintained properly. It sets the tone for your entire business, you're in compliance. That is exactly what the folks at Universal Registered Agents do. If you are looking and interested in learning about the differences between LLCs, S-Corps, C-Corps, nonprofits, and which one will work for you, it is not a problem. They're going to help you out. We, we love URA. They, they do the legwork for you. So learn more by clicking the Universal Registered Agents link in the show notes and definitely check them out. Now, I have to tell you that today's guest, uh, I'm really excited because I feel like I have not interviewed a guest quite like the one we have for you today before. Uh, So we should be having a pretty interesting conversation, but today we are joined by Helena Krusek, and she is Deputy Engagement Lead AF Ventures for FWorks. Helena, thank you so much for being here with us today. Hi, Lauren. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. And I got to tell you, I am so excited because uh, Jessica Powell, who, for those of you listening who don't know, Jessica is one of the producers of the show. She is a startup hustle rock star. She makes all of this stuff happen. She's the the wizard behind the curtain who pulls all the levers to make startup hustle happen. And she has recommended you so highly, Helena. I don't think you know how big of a fan you have in Jessica Powell. Oh, my Lord. That's, um, you know, no pressure, right? <laughs> I mean, I, a little bit of pressure, but I feel like we're going to set the bar way up high and then you're going to clear it based on what I know of you already. So yeah, I no, won't I worry about it too much. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope I can do her justice. Um, Jessica is a great friend. We used to work together and, you know, always open to her recommendations. So very happy to be here. Well, and I have to tell you the same, like I'm always open to her recommendation. Anytime she sends me a guest, she's like, you're going to love this one. I'm like, yes, I am going to love this one. And that <laughs> was definitely you. So, so welcome yes. to the show. I am, I'm going to kick us off and I'm going to ask you the perennial question. Uh, Helena, tell us about your journey. All right. So there's a long version and a short version. Um, we got time. We got time. <laughs> um. Uh, the short version is that I probably have a little bit of imposter syndrome and that I, I stumbled my way into some really cool stuff. But the long version is that I've actually been working really hard at this to get here for a long time. 
Um, it sort of depends on how far you want to go back, right? Um, when I was a little, little kid, uh, I feel like most little girls want to play with stereotypically feminine things like um, give us all the Barbies and playhouse and whatever, all those gender stereotypes. I wanted to be a fighter pilot when I was a little girl. I guess oh, that's awesome. Wait, wait, wait. Did planes. it have anything to do with Top Gun? Um, you know, I'm sure at some point it did because I'm a kid from the 90s. But um, uh, at the time that that movie was out, I'm sure it wasn't super on my okay. radar. So I probably saw it and just absorbed it into my childhood zeitgeist at some point in time. But maybe, who knows? Um, okay. I think it just, was I just wanted so... to check. I, I feel like that would have been all right. So, so you wanted to be a fighter pilot. What appealed to you? I did. And actually, um, now that I'm really thinking about it, I think the earliest movie I can remember where I saw <laughs> depictions of fighter pilots was in the early 2000s, like Independence Day movie with Will Smith. So that is one of my favorite. <laughs> that is one of my favorite movies of all time. I just and I, like no shame. Like I understand that it does not hold up like crazy well at this point, but like one of my fave movies of all time. Yeah, totally. No, just a lot of fun, especially for a, you know, 90s kid, definitely. But oh, yeah. um, so, you know, jumping forward, that that definitely stuck with me. And for a long time, I debated what it was that I wanted to do with my life. I ended up not going into the military, um, ended up eventually going into a public policy program. Um, and from there, one of my first big jobs out of graduate school was working for a consulting firm. Uh, who did a lot of work in the national security space. So they worked with a lot of clients uh, like big prime contractors, um, DOD, uh, so Department of Defense and Department of Homeland Security agencies, um, and a lot of folks looking to just do new things and get noticed in the political sphere, right? Yeah. Um, so one of my first big uh, clients was an individual out of the uh, out of the Pentagon who was interested in figuring out how some hackers out of the uh, out of the startup community uh, in Washington, not in Washington, D.C., excuse me, um, out of Las Vegas, thinking about the Black Hat DEF CON conference, shout out there, okay. um, were leveraging different hacking tools to become better than the government was at doing all things cyber, right? Yeah. Um, so I chaperoned a big group of folks out of the Pentagon um, to that event and helped them get connected with a company that I eventually helped to get plugged into uh, a contract with them called Aries Security um, that focused on uh, really, uh, what was the word that he called it? Uh, identifying the uh, the hidden tigers in the organization, right? So helping to train cyber warriors uh, offensively and defensively um, with hacker tools at the Pentagon level. Um, and that was the first time I ever really saw how a startup could play ball with a big organization like, uh, like the Department of Defense. Yeah. Um, Around that same time, I also got invited as a, the end of my graduate career, I got invited to present on a topic at the Pentagon about the force of the future. So uh, future of war fighting, right? I, I did a lot of uh, my graduate research around um, cybersecurity and the future of warfare um, in the cyber era. And I got to give that presentation to a room full of really important military folks, most of whom I had no idea who they were. Um, you know, I was this kid who came from undergrad from a state school and there were all these other kids with, uh, I say kids, but we were all young adults, you know, uh, yeah. Ivy league education. Oh, sure. you know, I, I felt so imposter syndrome. -y. But I remember in that room, uh, I got a chance to meet Chris Lynch, who was the guy who eventually founded defense digital, um, and his entire 
mission statement was exactly what I was working on, which was the fact that the government needed to learn how to move faster and be more agile, like startups in the hacker community. Yeah. So um, that was where I really got excited about this work. And, uh, you know, lots of twisty, turvy roads, but eventually found my way into venture capital where I worked for the last... Oh, wow. Four or five years. Um, and then eventually transitioned my way over to the Air Force, where I'm currently a civilian uh, working with AF Ventures. So eventually made it back into the Air Force, not flying planes, but, you know, close enough, helping people yeah. to uh, successfully fly those planes, I hope. Well, so so that is that's so fascinating to me because because I guess I feel like when it comes to the military, I, I feel like there is a there are kind of two schools of thought that you can follow. So first of all, like when I think of the military, I don't necessarily think of innovation. I think of you know discipline, and I think of order, and I think you know I think there there are images that are conjured up for sure. Um, but innovation is not typically one of them. However, I also know that some of our greatest innovations have come through the military, uh, you know, particularly as it pertains to defense, like a lot of the technologies that we use now today were actually developed for the military. And yes. so I, I'm really interested to hear, like, historically, ha has the military had a difficult time innovating? Or, or what's your take on that? That's a super interesting concept. And I think it's sort of, it depends on how you're measuring that concept of innovation at any one point in time, right? So if you are looking at what was done in, you know, the 1960s versus what's happening today, right? The type of technology and the speed of technology adoption yeah. are two totally different things. Um, definitely not even comparable in terms of the technology that we have now, right? Because right. The, the technology in your smartphone is probably smarter than some of the first, um, you know, rocket ships that went up to the moon and took us to uh, the moon landing. So, which that in and of itself days. is just like you just made a mind blowing statement. Like I, I just know. want you to know that <laughs> it's crazy, but it's um it's super interesting also to think about the fact that out of that time period is where we got things um, as basic as you know, uh, duct tape and microwaves, those were things that came out of NASA, the U.S. government, right? Yeah. Those got uh, translated into the uh, commercial space, into the American economy. And um, what's really cool about that, that I, I think translates well into what we're doing right now, at least um, one of the things that the Air Force is pretty well known for at this point in time, is our willingness and excitement around working with dual use technologies. And, um Dual use for those who aren't aware is essentially the concept that a technology or some product has applicability in the defense space as well as the commercial space. Sure. It's not just one or the other, right? Um, so as silly as it is, duct tape is like a perfect example of that because yeah. absolutely like the adhesives oh used to build duct tape have a and very- I mean, duct tape is that tool that you think of when you're thinking about like absolute utility. Like everybody yeah. can find a million different uses for duct tape. Yeah, it's it's a very um, no duh type example, but I like that one because it's so ubiquitous that you don't even really think about it, right? Yeah. And the goal of the Air Force working to support these dual use companies is that we are not just trying to find the next big defense contractor, right? When we're working with small businesses, we're not trying to seed a hundred thousand new defense primes. Right. We are trying to help steer the American economy to create stronger, better, healthier small businesses that can grow and thrive. 
regardless of whether or not they have government customers or commercial customers, typically we prefer that they have some of both, right? right. If we're going to have the same kind of um, you know, innovation mindset that people think of when you're, you're thinking about the end of the Cold War, we're not going to do that unless we're putting in more money into these dual use type companies. And right. that is one thing that I think uh, us at the Air Force have done really well is acknowledging what we don't know and opening it up to industry to tell us what we need to know and where we need to do better. Yeah. Well, so so first things first, I do want to tell you that the Air Force is my favorite branch of the military. I had a grandfather who served, uh, earned the rank of major and, you know, very proud. And so so love the Air Force. But I really what I really, really love is the fact that your organization, AFWorks, and, and the work that you do, it, it, it empowers those small businesses, those entrepreneurs, people who are already thinking entrepreneurially and thinking agilely, like as you said, you know, typically entrepreneurs, because they're they're helming small companies and they're not beholden to a lot of different parties, they, they can be very quick and they can they fail fast uh, and they, they solve problems. And so I love the fact that you are empowering the private sector to serve both the the military sector and the public sector like that's that's super cool so can you talk a little bit about that interplay like how does that relationship manifest so how does i want to make sure i'm understanding how 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 do the military and the private sector work together cohesively Oh man. Um, I mean, there's the ideal scenario and then there's, you know, everything is different from theory to practice. Right. All right. So, well, so let's hear the theory. Yes. And then let's hear the actuality. I, I'm, so, I'm like really interested. Yeah. I'm like fascinated by this. I can't wait. Well, this is an interesting. Uh, this is something that people talk about at a, a policymaking level all the time, right? You know, there's, there's constant disagreements regardless of side um, about how to make this work. But I think the goal that everyone wants to see um, is a strong uh, American economy that works in lockstep with the government, right? We want to be seeing companies that are successfully putting out new cutting edge technologies that are being able to be fielded by uh, the U.S. government, right? As well as private sector entities. So in theory, all of those things should be working well in lockstep from the get-go. Uh, the reality is that I think that we as an organization have acknowledged that it can be very difficult to work with the government, especially the Air Force and the military in general. Um, we, at least for a small business in that context, let me let me let me contextualize it in that way. Um, a lot of folks look at the military and see it as this uh, as this behemoth where there is no space for small businesses to get a leg in, um, especially in the context of how uh, defense contractors have operated, right, for the last 40 or so years. It's, it's really been a, a monopoly on large businesses coming in and taking up large sums of money. So I can see from a small business perspective, they're not really seeming like there is space for uh, what we call a small, uh, small business to come in and do something meaningful for the military. Right. Um, so one of the things that we try to do with our programs uh, under... Uh, so I work with AF Ventures, and we're a division of AF Works, uh, which is the Department of the Air Force's front door for all things non-dilutive funding. And please stop me if I do this. I try so hard not to because I, I'm a civilian, and I have to acknowledge that even I don't know all the acronyms. 
But if I say something and I get acronymy or jargony, like yell at me because I hate when well, you Well, I don't know that I'm going to yell at you, but I, I will stop you because because that is another thing that I definitely think of when I think of the military. Like anytime I talk to somebody who's involved with the military, like they start throwing letters at me and I'm just like, ah, we're doing alphabet talk again. Excellent. Uh, <laughs> so I will stop yeah. you. I promise not to yell. <laughs> um, I, you know, it's uh, I get it because there's so many um, big concepts and important things that we're discussing that it can work sure. a lot faster to speak in acronyms, but totally for, the get sake it. Of, <laughs> for the sake of transparency and understanding that it, and creating the environment where people feel as though they understand what we're talking about, I think it's, it's fair to everyone to stop and explain anything. So I'm, I'm always more than happy to go back and tell you an acronym. And actually a lot of times there's even acronyms that I don't know. So don't like, <laughs> All right. It happens. We have a lot well, of that. This is this is a safe space. So so this continue and I space. will stop you where needed. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. So AF Ventures, we are the Department of the Air Force, the DAF's front door for all things affiliated with the Small Business Administration. So the major mechanisms through which the Small Business Administration works with small businesses is through really two projects. Um uh SIBIR, SBIR, which is the Small Business Innovation Research. Uh, grant and then STTR, which is, I believe, science and technology transfer. Nah, shoot, there's an R in there. I can't remember. There you go. See, not everyone knows what all their acronyms are, but SIBR and SIDR are the two, two main mechanisms by which small businesses can engage with the Department of the Air Force. And under our umbrella, we uh, administer and direct funding for all of those um, research projects that are looking to get involved with the Air Force, be that SIBR, be that SIDR, as I just mentioned, or some of our bigger funding opportunities, which some folks on the call, if they're more plugged into the defense ecosystem, there's been a lot of buzz recently about these topics called StratFi and TACFi. Um, these are essentially bigger funding mechanisms that the Air Force leverages to place bigger bets, bigger dollar amounts on things that they think um, can basically have a better chance at transitioning. Okay. So I, oh, and I got to go back and do my acronyms. Stratfi is strategic financing. TACFI is tactic, tactical financing. And those okay. are all supplemental funding programs. So they're basically additional bigger buckets of money to help people finalize their prototype and get it to market. Now, and you market, know, I'm, I'm going to make a, I'm going to make a challenge to our listeners right now. At some point, I want you to try to use Stratfi or TACFI in a sentence with somebody and it, let's normalize this conversation, but that's your challenge listeners. And I'm going to do it too. I'm going to try to use that in, in, in a sentence. All right. You know, I'm sure you could, I'm sure you could come up with some kind of analogy for like, you know, leveling up your, your <laughs> it, but um, you know, the context probably doesn't translate super well. So um, my apologies to anyone playing that game. You're going to have a hard time. <laughs> It's a challenge. If it were easy, it would just be mundane. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. All right, uh, but so the point being, yeah, the point being, just bringing it back, it's the, the, the point of those programs is to create explicit avenues through which uh, commercial use cases and defense use cases across the startup ecosystem can yeah. get plugged into the, the sort of entry front door of government contracting with the Air Force. And that's what our team manages. Okay. So that, that is a whole lot to chew on. So I'm going to, let's try to parse it down. So, so one of the things that I, I would like to ask is, so 
you have an organization, a, a startup that is building something that could potentially uh, fit within this dual use paradigm that, that mm-hmm. you're talking about. What does the experience from the entrepreneurship side of things look like as they, they seek to work with AppWorks, as they seek to to find this uh, this innovation research funding? Sure. So uh, one, where I like to start with this, particularly for folks who've never done any business with the government, is to think about uh, revenue and raising funds through the perspective of the traditional venture capital space, right? When you are a startup, the first thing that everyone tells you is that you need to go out and raise funding, right? Um, they, they're encouraging you to go ship a product, build it, find product market fit, and then find investors who will give you um, you know, incremental amounts of money to go out and make a perfect product in theory. Um, the way that they do that is typically through dilutive funding, right? So when you are taking money from an institutional investor, they're asking for some piece of your company back in exchange. That is dilutive, right? It dilutes the ownership of your company amongst uh, your founding team and really your shareholders. Right. That is absolutely one way to build a business. It it works. I come out of the VC community. I've seen a ton of really strong companies build fantastic legacies that way. Absolutely. I've also seen people build really strong companies, never having to take a dollar of venture capital funding. It really depends on your financing model. And a lot of people do that. And there's, there's different ways to build a business. And that's, that's not the point of this conversation. What's unique about the way that we work with companies is that we provide non-dilutive funding. What that money is, the money that comes out of Sibber and Sitter pockets uh, is non-dilutive funding and that it is essentially a contract in exchange for work. So uh, what's unique about that is that it allows people at earlier stages than you'd think to be able to figure out how to work with the Air Force. Um, At the earliest stages, that phase one, it allows companies to really just focus on uh, building out a feasibility statement, right? There's... I think people get kind of caught up in this idea that government contracting means, uh, you know, hitting the ground running and delivering product immediately. Right. That's not necessarily the case. Um, The government is a well-informed customer who wants to make sure that what you're building works with their needs. So when you are first winning a SIBR or a SITR phase one award, you have a period of performance where you are just doing a feasibility study. You want to make sure that the thing that you want to build works for the customer internally. We give you that funding and it doesn't dilute your company whatsoever. It can right. be a huge help. Um, it's it's by no means the end of the world, right? Like you're not going to be able to retire on the on the small amount of money that comes in through a cyber phase one, but it's a substantial amount of money to a small business that's trying to figure out how to keep the lights on, right? Yeah. And if your product is a good fit for uh, for an airman or a guardian on the ground, the goal of the open topic, which is the contracting mechanism we use most predominantly, is to help figure out what that is and get it into the pipeline to figure out how to deliver it for the warfighter. And that's how that works for phase one. What okay. happens with that is a larger and larger, sequentially larger amount of money. Um, once you finish with your phase one, like I said, the goal of that is funding in exchange for that feasibility statement. Um, When you get to phase two, the name of the game is figuring out a government customer. So in the context of VC, this is your product market fit. When you have built your MVP, you have to make sure that the product you're going to ship is something that someone's actually going to buy. 
Right. And the entire purpose of that phase two is to identify a government customer and then to work with them to build out a prototype that fits their needs. Yeah. That's a larger amount of money. And again, it's it's non-dilutive funding. So it's essentially a contract and exchange for um, the service of building out that prototype. And what's unique about that is that you now effectively, if you're able to go through the, the process of phase one to phase two, you have a brand new customer who is excited about your product because they worked with you and saw you build the thing and it makes sense for them. So from a startup's perspective, I mean, you know, I can't speak to everyone because there's different business models, there's different industries, verticals, and customers look different across the board. But to me, that sounds like a pretty good deal if you're trying to figure out who's going to buy your product. Sure. So, so just to, I just want to make sure that I, I'm tracking this correctly. So like stage one is, can we do it? And then stage two is what will people be buying and will people buy it? More or less. Correct. Okay. I'm just, I'm just trying to break it down into simplistic terms. So uh, real quick, I do need to to break in because th- this is like, this is fascinating to me. I'm very selfishly enjoying this conversation. I, I hope our listeners are too. But I also have to say, uh, just a quick reminder that today's episode of Startup Hustle is sponsored by Universal Registered Agents. And, you know, they they take the complications out of setting up your business and maintaining compliance. Those those aren't easy things. And we talk a lot around Startup Hustle about how to make an entrepreneur's job easier. Well, URA is it. It is really important to have expert help along the way to help you you know, get started properly and do everything that you need to do. Make sure that all your I's are dotted and T's are crossed so you can set your company up for success. That is exactly what you will find when you visit universalregisteredagents.com. They can help you with all of your business setup and maintenance need. They can help you set up LLCs, corporations, nonprofits, wherever you're located. In addition to helping you create the right kind of entity, universalregisteredagents.com can also help with registered agent services. They are a wide variety of corporate services and they can help you meet the needs of independent directors. So definitely check them out. Folks, we are here with uh, Helena Krusek with AFWorks, and we are talking about non-dilutive funding, uh, particularly as it pertains to to military. And and so I'm just, I'm so fascinated by this process. Helena, I have to ask you, you know, we might have some, some folks listening in our audience who they're looking to connect with the military. They might have a product that they think could fit within the paradigm of what you're looking for. Uh, so can you talk to us about some, some kind of case studies? Where have entrepreneurs struggled in this process and where have they, where have they flourished? Yeah, that's a great question. And I mean, it's, it's difficult because there are so many small businesses that we're working with, um, at any one point in time, you know, there's about 1500 plus different companies that at least we individually as the, uh, as the AFWorks organization have helped to bring into uh, the Sibirans that are pipeline that experience um, yeah. through these mechanisms. So there's, there is a vast uh, array of different experiences, uh, you know, ranging from, you know, one and done uh, up through coming in, succeeding, you know, deciding to become a strictly, uh, you know, government focused organization and only working with defense customers and finding your niche in that space, or alternatively go in the other direction, doing some of each, right. Going up through the ranks and working with one government customer and then finding another commercial customer. And, you know, companies have been very successful in doing that too. Uh, most recent numbers I've seen is we have 
20 plus unicorns in the uh, the AFWorks portfolio of companies that have worked with the Department of the Air wow. Force. Wow. There's, there's a broad range, right? That's, that's yeah. the 1,500 broadly that have worked with us at any stage, all the way up through 20 something plus unicorns. So it's there is a lot of different types of companies here. Sure. Um, but the one thing I will say, and the one thing I like to reemphasize is that people tend to forget that the US government and the military in particular is one of the biggest customers in the world. Right. There is likely a product market fit for something that you have to offer with a government customer. Yeah. Um, whether that is something that falls under what I am doing, and th there are stipulations there, right? Because uh, what's unique about companies that fit into the uh, AF Ventures Cyber Sitter funding on this side of the house is that they have to do something very acronymy. It's uh, it has to comply with something called RDTNE, which stands for Research, Development, Test, and Evaluation. Basically, what that means is that you can't bring a commercial off-the-shelf product to us and say, here, buy this thing. And then right. we'll say, oh, okay, that's great. There has to be some component of novelty. The whole point of the prototype is developing something new, right? So in yeah. order to work with us, there has to be that, this, that satisfaction of research, development, test, and or evaluation, right? Yeah. Um, what that means is there's a lot of businesses out there who either don't have a product or the means right now to do something totally R&D focused, and they might have a really great commercial office shelf product. There's a lot of other ways to do business with the U.S. government, right? You can yeah. go and look at, um, you know, requests for product and solicitations on, you know, SAM.gov all day long. You can find all kinds of requisition stuff. Um, but even in the, the military, there's a lot of different ways of doing this business, right? The Air Force has our way of doing things. We really like the open topic. We've been doing specific topic very well. Strat by TACFI are both really exciting. We've launched some big companies that way. It's not just the Air Force. There's organizations within the Army that are also working with small businesses. Yeah. I was just on a panel today listening to some folks with the Office of Naval Research talking about how unsexy some of this stuff is, but there's a lot of really valuable contracting opportunities all across the armed services. So what's good about this is that if something doesn't necessarily fit within the umbrella of AFWorks, it doesn't mean you should give up. It means, you know, get smart, do your homework, do some reading and really understand your customer, but know that there's probably a good fit for it somewhere. Yeah. So somewhere down the line. And I, and I think your point is well taken that, you know, that the military is one of the, the largest customers in the world. So, so I love that they're, it seems like there's a lot of opportunity, and I imagine that there are some some predeterminations that entrepreneurs maybe have around working with the military. But the fact is, it sounds like you you could do pretty much anything. I mean, you know, maybe like you, you, maybe the military wouldn't have use for like unicorn, you know, kitten T-shirts or something like that. But if you're developing a technology product, you can probably find some aspect of it to fit. I, I love that. Yeah. Um, so, so let me ask you this. I, I'm very curious. How do you find companies to work with? Um, I, I imagine that attraction is some of it, like they might approach you, but do you actively and proactively go out and seek out the kinds of technologies that you're looking for? Absolutely. And that's one of the reasons why I have my job. One of the main parts of the engagements team with AF Ventures is to figure out how we better engage with industry, not just by asking them to come to us, but by coming to them and finding different pockets around the United States where we need to 
show up, um, create opportunity and make the barriers to entry uh, less monumental for small businesses. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I'm incredibly passionate about is making sure that we're working with underserved populations. So, um, you know, historically, we the the military in the U.S. overall, our, our government has uh, done a really good job of working with small businesses, but we haven't always done a really good job of, uh, you know, uh, of equity in, uh, you know, working with businesses where there's founders of color, yeah. women, different, you know, different How people. Did you know, that was going to be one of my next questions. You must be psychic. <laughs> I mean, this is, look, I mean, what we're doing here is really a microcosm of, um, of the investment space in general, right? Yeah, for not, sure. Not just in the military. This is really across the board. Women and founders of color just are disproportionately underinvested in. Right. Yeah. And so, I, well, and I mean, the stat that I always throw out there is I, I think the last time they tracked in 20, 2020, something like 2.2% of venture capital funding went to women funded business. And that number became even more dismal when you talk about female founders of color. It was like 0.006% or something ridiculously low like that. So, so yes. yeah, like the, the venture capital landscape is, has, has historically, been abysmal when it comes to founding underrepresented founders. So it's good to hear uh, that the military has taken some strides to to change that narrative. So, so what are some of the things that you do? Yeah. So we've, um, you know, we've we've acknowledged that there is we all have room to do better, right? Oh, uh, we, we have. We do have um, we do have small businesses run by um, women and people of color within the portfolio, but there's always room to do better. Right. So part of our core strategy and one of the things that we are really passionate about and making sure that we are um, satisfying as we're going out and interacting with the community is making sure that we are bringing ourselves to different communities. Um, one that I'm looking at right now is uh, this event that we do with HBCU community. We've got this collider coming up later in August. Um, where we're working with HBCUs um, and various small businesses to help bring these opportunities directly to them. Um, all of that stuff is super important, but another one that is really important is making sure that we are making our language more accessible. Yeah. Um, so something that is in incredibly important in our work is doing this user experience research where we are working with different founders, folks who have never done business with the government ever, right? Yeah. Getting their concerns, understanding why it is that, you know, they might have historically in the past decided not to work with us and figuring out how we can simplify a lot of the legalese around contracting, because that right. is a huge barrier to entry. I mean, absolutely. You know, if I'd never done this before and I weren't myself and I looked at, you know, a 20 page solicitation that was all written in legalese, I'd probably say that's a little difficult, you know? So um, making sure that we are understanding people's experiences, working to streamline and lower those barriers to entry, uh, you know, talking and making sure that there is equitable access to our programs and opportunities, that's incredibly important. But then also sometimes that means shutting up and listening and showing up where we need to be and figuring out how we can make connections and help. So yeah. it's, um, it is not an easy process by any means. There is no quick fix, but we absolutely have a dedicated team who is working very, very hard to help ensure that we are getting uh, better 
access across yeah. different communities. Not just getting butts in the seats, but getting, you know, getting the right butts in seats. That's, that's incredible. Well, so let me, let me ask you this then. Um, and, and we kind of touched on this a little bit, but I'm going to ask you to get like super tactical with me. Uh, so you have a startup founder and they have, they, they're getting ready to pitch to Afworks. What, what are you looking for specifically? Like what, how should they prepare for that pitch? Yeah. So it's, um, the analogy is not perfect, right? So let me just clarify when it comes to pitching, uh, the VC community does a lot of one-to-one pitches, right? Yeah. You, You do your pitch deck, you perfect your 10, you know, sometimes 10 minutes, that's a long time, usually five minutes tops pitch, if right. you're an elevated pitch, and you have to be able to know your product inside and out flat and share that information. When it comes to pitching, quote unquote, the Air Force, um, the way that we do that is really through that that phase one silver sitter, right? The, okay. the open topic is the, the easiest way to do that because Again, the open topic is designed for small business and industry to tell us what we don't know. So we start with soliciting from airmen and guardians that we work with um, really a wish list, uh, which we call our focus areas. We create this massive list. That's the shopping list of all of these things of, um, of areas where we know we need help, but we don't necessarily know what it is that we need to buy. We offer that up to industry and say, okay, open topic, show us your solutions. What should we be looking out for? So, so what would be, can you give us like a couple of examples on your shopping list? Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. So if if folks want to go look at it, I mean, it's, it's a really broad variety, right? So we are looking at things, um, across the board from, uh, so there's things like really traditional things that align well with the venture, um, venture ecosystem, right? Uh-huh. So there's a lot of SaaS. There's there's yeah. a lot of enterprise <laughs> systems. That's that's stuff that's very common. Sure. Um, but then there's also uh, you know, things that do qualify as dual use but might have more of a defense lead. Sure. Um, I've seen some really interesting solicitations from uh, say for example, the nuclear warfare center. Um, you know, thinking about different components of technologies that are going to help to make sure that our nuclear arsenal operates well at all times. So you say um, those words to me and it just sounds so scary. I'm like, oh, okay. It really right. shouldn't. Because it's, <laughs> I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Um, but it really shouldn't because this, this to me acknowledges that we're always working on improving, right? And to me, yeah. that's something that, that makes me feel comforted. Um, oh, absolutely. You know, one thing I did want to put in here though, What's that? One thing I did want to put in here that was a shout out and something just, it's a callback to something that you mentioned earlier is that, um, it's not just when it comes to the things that the Air Force is buying, we're not just looking to buy weapon systems and things that are machines affiliated with warfare. Right. Uh, I'm doing a lot right now with the Air Force Surgeon General's office who is looking at medical technology, health stuff, um, thinking about helping to keep people alive, humanitarian purposes. Um, a, a ton of biotech. It's the, really the range of possibilities of what the government or what people conceive that the government would want to buy is much, much broader than you would ever think it would be. And well, um, yeah. 
yeah, it's it's going to be really exciting to see what kind of new things get uh, proposed in this next solicitation cycle, because there's always something new. Yeah, well, and I mean, I find that fascinating. Like you even mentioned SaaS and, you know, software as a service, like the military has procurement systems and the military has back office staff and people who need to like push paper to keep things moving forward. And so like even there, it's like the same kind of systems that, you know, the small business community and even the, you know, big corporate community could use or things that the military could definitely use. And I guess people don't necessarily think about that all the time, or at least I don't. Um, And what, what I like to, and that kind of ties it back to the beginning of my story really is that the whole reason why I got into this is because there was a small community of people that recognized that in order for the government to do their jobs better, they had to start acting more agilely like startups. Yeah. And that's how do, how do we reason. institute efficiencies and how yes. do we make it possible for, for us to make better, quicker decisions using data and using technology? I, I love that. Yeah, it's um it's a very cool space to be in. And I think it was a really um, easy transition for me to move into going out of the venture capital space and into this one, because I'm still working with all kinds of new, exciting technologies, oh, for sure. having the opportunity to work with incredibly passionate founders and making sure that I'm working towards a mission that feels good at the end of the day, right? Yeah. Bringing solutions to the warfighter and helping to build technologies that actually mean something for society is something that is incredibly compelling to me. Yeah, no, I love that. I mean, it, it really does truly sound like you have landed in the perfect spot. Do you love what you do? It sounds like you love what you do. I do. And I'm so bad about, um, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm really a nerd about this. I really do love this community. Um, I'm very passionate about the mission. Um, I, I'm always wanting to make sure that everything we're doing has a so what, you know, yeah. and to me, there is no bigger so what than, you know, contributing to the national defense and making sure that our warfighters are well equipped to do their jobs well. Um, but then also supporting the national economy. Like it matters. Everything yeah. revolves around that. So I, I feel very lucky to be doing something that I love. I definitely yeah. don't feel like I have to work a day in my life because I love what I'm doing. Um, you know, even if I have to be the public mouth mouthpiece for uh, the engagements team, because one secret that I love to tell people is that uh, this is not natural, right? Public speaking is a weird thing. And I still yeah. find myself hearing my own voice and like cringing, but um, even that doesn't stop me because I love my job at the end of the day. So, that is awesome. Yeah. Well, so so speaking of things that you love, he, here goes. I'm going to ask you the human question. Uh, here it comes. And I'm going to ask, you know what? I'm actually going to touch back on something that we have already kind of discussed. But I'm going to ask you, what's your favorite movie? My favorite movie? Oh, my God. I think I have to go back to Independence Day. Yes. Um, I, okay. That, I, I, was, I was kind of hoping that you would say that. Original Independence Day. I think, um, you know, a lot of people say that they could like put Die Hard on and watch it 50 million times without yeah. getting sick of it. I think Independence Day is mine. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. But I, man, it's a great movie. I it's cry movie. at Bill Pullman's speech every time, every damn time. And I watched that movie on a 
I, I would say not frequent, but a regular basis, like a couple times a year, at least. It's like one of my comfort movies yes. uh, because it's so like there are places where it's so silly and there are places where it it feels so real, like this could really happen, uh, you know, and I, just, I, I love it so much. But Bill Pullman's speech, uh, when he's talking about the fact like we will not uh, go quietly, go quietly into, the into the Yeah, like he, he's just so passionate. And I'm just like, yes, every single time he does it every time so I will say and you'll find this funny because I come out of the public policy space all of my friends are nerds right and so yeah. everyone has um some piece of media where they have a favorite representation of sure. uh, the president or political uh political office my favorite representation of a president is him in that oh, movie. hell yeah he's he is my ideal well Absolutely. and then in the he's sequel he kind of in the sequel he kind of i feel so bad for him because he said well spoiler alert sorry folks if you haven't seen it you know the, the second one he's a little if broken you haven't seen it by now i mean it's a little late that's yeah, like you know I, I i don't feel like we're giving away any late like we're not giving away the farm here like if you haven't seen it definitely watch it give it a try uh but you have had ample ample opportunity until now uh exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Go watch Bill yeah. Pullman. Feel better about your life. For sure. Feel very, yes. feel very inspired. Uh, yes. I, I always leave it feeling, feeling very inspired. Well, yeah. and, and I, I definitely left this conversation feeling inspired. So I have to thank you, Helena. Thank you so much for taking the time to sit down and chat with us. <laughs> well, good. No, thank you so much for having me. Um, it's, it's always nice to just come chat and do real people stuff, especially in this uh, weird time of COVID. So yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Well, I, I, I am so glad that we had the opportunity to chat with you. And I am so glad that we have folks like Universal Registered Agents out there. Once again, we want to give a big thank you to today's episode sponsor, Universal Registered Agents. Uh, set up your new business. Maintain all aspects of your business compliance. One of those hard things to do as an entrepreneur. Their goal is to make your job easier so you can focus on what you do best, running your business. Connect with them by visiting the link in our show notes. Also, would like to point you to, uh, I don't know if you, if you don't fully understand NFTs, do we have an education for you? I want to point you to the NFT series that Matt DeCourcy has put together to explain this, this interesting new concept. Uh, and, and he's put together a, it's several parts. I can't remember how many parts, but a several part series explaining NFTs, how to use them, what they are, uh, all of that fun stuff. So definitely keep an eye out for those on the startup hustle channels. You so choose to listen to, uh, speaking of you choosing to listen to us, friends, we are very grateful for you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to us week after week. Uh, we love sharing stories of founders with you, and we love the fact that you enjoy them. I uh, hope you keep doing it and keep coming back. We will see you next week, and we will catch you on the flip side. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.